Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Chris Wynn, and welcome to another special edition of Roker Report where today we take you back once again to a time when football seemed like the most important thing on the planet, and specifically to a year when Sunderland's relegation from Division 1 almost 30 years ago gave an opportunity for today's guest to break into the Sunderland first team. Today we are privileged to be speaking to a player who came through the ranks to make 174 appearances between 1991-1997. I am very pleased to be speaking to Craig Russell. Welcome, Craig. Hi, Chris. How are you doing, mate? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. How how's the the lockdown going for you? Are you coping okay? Um, it's it's been. I wouldn't say it's been like a, a quiet time. I've got a ten month old now, so he's extremely busy. So it's been uh, non-stop out in the garden, but just a just a weird weird time. Yeah, it is. It is. But I, I imagine you and everyone else at the club are itching to get back to work and get back into it. Definitely, it's. it's I can't believe how. It's been like five, six weeks since since we're at the training ground. So I mean, God knows when we'll eventually return there. So I've been speaking to a couple of lads just on to see how they do and stuff like that. And everybody's keen to get back to work and just because it'll, it'll prove a sense of normality. Yeah, well, I, I want to come back uh, slightly to the to the current day before we finish. But right now, I'd like to begin with taking you back uh, to the age of, of Manchester, uh, when the Stone Roses and Happy Mondays were in full swing. And so was your relationship with Sunderland when you signed schoolboy forms in 1988, I think it was. Was there any ever thoughts that it wasn't going to be Sunderland? Um, I had uh, quite a few clubs I could have went to. I could have went up the road, but obviously being red and white, um, my dad wasn't wasn't too keen on us going up to Newcastle. Uh, <laughs> could have went down to Watford. I, I went to Man United. I went to Leicester. Celtic. Uh, there was quite a few clubs, you know. But it was only ever going to be one team for me, and, uh, and that was Sunderland. Did you used to go to the game when you were young, and and that's it? You were hooked. Oh yeah, I think my first game was probably around. 78, 79, something like that. Um, and like me, my dad used to stand with my mum on the same spot in the full wall end, week in, week out, and all they never missed. And so, like, I was taken along as soon as I possibly could. And that was me, really, you know, something until I die. <laughs> it was like Gary Rowell then at the beginning, was it? Was that your idol? Yeah. I mean, at that time, like, I used to love. I used to love Stan Cummins. I used to love Pop Robson. Obviously, Gary Rowell. It's just great times, great times. As a kid, you know, standing, like I say, standing in that corner. When I was really young, I used to play just running around, you know, up and down the steps, around and around. My dad used to go mad with us, come watch the game, and then he'd make us sit on one of the barriers and stuff, you know. 
just in that bottom left-hand corner of the four will end great time. So as I said, you, you kind of signed uh, quite young, you know, schoolboy forms in 1988. So, so as you kind of came through, what was the youth set up like at Sunderland at, at that time? It was the centre centre of excellence, to call it then. And uh, all we used to do was train once a week on a Thursday evening at the Northumbria Centre in Washington. And that would only be for an hour, an hour and a half. And then in the school holidays, you'd go in for training for for five days or so and then play like a sort of friendly game at the end of it. So totally like a million, million miles away from what the young youngsters do these days. You know, they're coming in from seven, eight, nine-year-old, and they're there a good few times a week, and they're playing for the club on the weekend, whereby, like, back in my day, it was, like I say, one one training session. Occasionally, you know, your Easter holidays, you'd go in October time, through the summer, like, just for a week or so, and, and that was it. you just play for your local club and your school team and, your, you know, the county team, and, and um, that was sort of how we did things then. Who were your biggest uh, influences as you were coming through? Was there any coaches there who, who had an impact on you? Like Freddie Anderson was the was the old scout in Sunderland, and like my parents don't drive, so Freddie used to take me everywhere. You know, if I had trials for for England, and I had trials for like in the, the north of England and like Durham. Freddie was absolutely brilliant for me. He took us, like I said, to every single training session I needed to go to. Um, when I when I had to travel down to Doncaster for trail games, for, for he was just like fantastic, Fred, and um, I'm I'm sure like there's a lot of a lot of young lads who came through before me around a similar time to me had a lot to thank Fred for. Dennis Smith was was the manager at the time when you signed, and he had a reputation as being a manager who wasn't scared to throw in. Uh, the young players into the team. I mean, did that filter down to the younger players where they thought, um, you know, they were going to get a chance if they showed they were good enough? Oh, yeah. I mean, Dennis, Dennis was brilliant. Um, if you were performing, it didn't matter how old you were, he was going to give you the opportunity, you know. He'd be there every youth youth team game if the first team weren't playing or like till if it was a home game, the first team were playing, he'd be down at the Charlie Hurley Centre watching watching the youth team say what was going on, him and Viv Busby and Martin Crosby would be there, keeping an eye on how the youngsters are developing. And you always felt that, like, you, you would get the opportunity, you know. And my first year as an apprentice, I didn't really, I didn't do too great, you know. And it was a worrying time because it was all new, full-time, being a full-time sort of uh, an apprentice. It's a big, big difference from just popping in, like, during the school holidays. So the second year, um, I really knuckled down, and I just went from there, really. I started, started had a great summer. You know, the Riverway International Tournament, and I ended up uh, top scorer in that, you know, with some amazing teams that used to come along back in the day. And... I just couldn't stop scoring goals, you know. So I always felt like, you know, I might get a chance, I might get a chance. And sure enough, it came along. That tournament actually about 1990, didn't we play Barcelona in the final of that tournament one year at Roker Park? Ah, yeah. I think the, the, the teams that used to come from like all over the world, you know, it was crazy. The boys would just turn up and be playing at Siltsworth and Riot and places like this, you know. But it was, a, it was fantastic. And it was a, a Big learning curve playing against like uh, like really ruthless South Americans, if you like, and <laughs> stuff like that. And I remember one one just spat like full on right in my face. I mean, <laughs> wow. yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, under eighteen, it was like like everything mad, you know. That just that game, I just had to win, and and it really showed you, you know, actually 
this this is this is real now. This is real football. I mean, not just kicking about with my mates anymore. Mm. Stuff like that. Yeah, I, I was at that final in uh, at Rugby Park. I remember that. Oh, you broke a bit of a memory there. <laughs> but um, I was going to say you you were on the books at Sunderland as a sixteen year old as we kind of beat the Mags uh, in the playoff and then went to Wembley. Were you too young to travel with the squad, or did you get to go as a fan? Oh, I went as a fan. I went uh, went with the Jarrah branch and. What a great night that was. Uh, I remember <laughs> being so despondent after the home game, you know. Yeah. Uh, everybody thought, ah, we've got no chance now. But when up there, oh, I've got to say, like a 16-year-old kid going up on the on the bus with, with my brother and stuff, that the atmosphere was electric, you know. It was just like nothing else. I, I've got to be honest, I was a bit, I felt a bit intimidated, you know. Yeah. But when we got that first one, you just really believed it. And then when right, Gabba's put the, put the second one in, and I, I'll never forget because I was near the front of the leases end and it's really low. Mm-hmm. And he just like almost just diagonally as he took the, the shot with his, with his left foot and just went in, oh, what a feeling, man, you know. My dad lost his cap. <laughs> I just went up in the air. He never, he never found it. <laughs> my dad had come up on H. My dad's crack as he, yeah, he'd, he'd gone up on the metro on his, on his own. So me and my brother were like, no, you can't go back. He's like, no, I'll just go back. And, you know, <laughs> he's sunning badge on his jacket and his scarf and all this. And I'm just like, you can't do it, man, Dad. You know, so we had to drag him on the Jarrah branch bus with us. But I was doing my GCS, GCSEs at the time. So obviously no mobile phones on out. And I had, I'm yeah. sure I had an exam the next day. I mean, my mum was going mad when I got in because we didn't get in until dead late, obviously, with the pitch invasion. Yeah getting held back and all this kind of stuff. But that, hey, honestly, it was just like delirium. You know, what a, what a great night that was. Brilliant. Yeah, so, I mean, Sunderland get promoted. I mean, odd, odd way, you know, by getting beat off Swindon. But we're relegated immediately from the first division in 1991. And as that is all going on, you're a 16, 17-year-old player uh, getting yourself established in the youth team in the Northern Intermediate League under Roger Jones and Jim Morrow, I think it was at the time. You're in with the likes of Mickey Gray, Martin Smith, Stephen Brody, And you also played up front alongside Kieran Brady in the youth that season. So, I mean, what are your memories of playing in that youth team? Uh, like uh, my first season, I was uh, in and out. You know, I'd be playing one week and then sold the next, and then back in, and then I couldn't really find me fall. But Kieran, what a talent! You know, I remember we played. I think it was York away. He said, "Just roll it." It was to rolls it to him from the kickoff, and he flicks it up and volleys it, and it just <laughs> flies in. You know, what a talent this broken is here. You know, but we had some really good players and. There were some good players uh, who didn't actually go all the way. It was really, really tough, you know. Uh, we thought, oh, he's got a chance, but uh, unfortunately didn't kick on. Um, but players like, you know, like Kieran, Anthony Smith was in the uh, same team, like, say, Stephen Brody, like, uh, oh, God, like me, you know, we had some cracking, cracking players all around at the same time, you know. So a uh, great bunch of lads as well, which always helps. Was it? I mean, I might have been a bit of an urban myth that I've gotten along the way, but uh, didn't Kieran Brady do that twice in the space of a, a few weeks? Or is that a bit of a myth? <laughs> it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise us how skillful he was, you know. I'm just unfortunate, like how, how it tailed off for him. Yeah. You know, great character, you know, full of life and, and like what a talent as well, the ball at his feet. 
Yeah. Well, he'd, he'd already been given his kind of chance in the first team by this point, and Smith's already given opportunities to like David Rush and Warren Hawke in the first division. I mean, they're a few years older than you, but I mean, that must have given you kind of the impetus and the, the drive to say, well, you know, if I keep at it, I'm going to be given a chance. I remember the season like before that, a couple of seasons before that, watching Kieran play in the first team, and then all of a sudden I'm like 16, 16 year old, and and I'm like lining up alongside him, so it was kind of surreal, you know. And even try going into training, and you know, as a young lad, you get drafted in to play practice matches against the first team. And, and Borio tells a story about one of his first training sessions. Obviously, he signed in the summer that I became a, a full time apprentice. And he'll, he'll tell us, he keeps telling the story, and he'll come into a room and he says, Rosa, have I told you the story of one of my first training sessions at Sunderland? Oh, yeah, we'll go. <laughs> So he'll start, he'll say, Ball comes comes in, and I think Bowley's thinking, because I was playing against Bowley, so he thinks I've got him here. <clears throat> so I've gone short and I've gone long, and Bowley's lost his, and I've scored. So he said, So you know what I did the next time? The next time the ball came, I absolutely smashed him, and he did. He honestly he lifted me off the floor, and I was like, ah, What's going on? Yeah, I'm a 16 year old kid, and this, like, the, the lad was just saying from Portsmouth is just absolutely smashed us. He said to us, he says, do that again and off, hint, blah, 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 you know. <laughs> but uh, like, that was Bowley's welcome for me when he came to Sunderland. Welcome to the man's game, eh? Aye, that's exactly it. Well, actually, when you're coming through in those sort of training sessions, because obviously at the time we had uh, we had Marco and, and Gates up front. I mean, were you able to watch those at kind of close quarters and, and take anything from them? Gabbard's was obviously... Like I was so thirteen when he he arrived, so to watch him, it, 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 he was so exciting, you know. Uh, and then all of a sudden again, like I think I must have just been a bit a bit starstruck in my first year, and that's probably a lot of why I didn't get the grips. I thought I didn't belong. I thought am I good enough to be at this level, you know? Because there was no separate academy to first team. Everybody got changed together, kind of thing. So. The reserves would get changed in the away changing room at Rotor Park. And the first team, you know, we'd kind of made this step up, would be in the home team dressing room. So on a morning when everybody's setting off the train and everybody's going out the front door together, and, and I'm like looking and I'm standing shoulder to shoulder with, with Gary Bennett and like, you know, and Marco and Casey and Elwesy and Gordon Armstrong. And, and you're just looking thinking, why like, am I good enough to be here, you know? But like, it's just it's it's hard to describe as a massive massive Sunderland fan to go from cheering these fellas on to being that peer. You know, it's 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 really really difficult. It's bizarre. I think it's uh, something most of us have dreamt of, <laughs> but yeah, I think you actually you actually lived the dream at, at, at that point because I mean you you were obviously I mean you say you had doubts, but you're obviously highly rated because you know the season after we go down, obviously we're back in Division Two. Um, and you, you're obviously a regular by this point in the youth team. But then 2nd of November 1991, you make the first team squad to take on Watford at Roker Park. as um, The first team is struggling in Division 2 at this point. And incidentally, it was it was the game after Peter Bagley had finished his loan spell with us. Was this just because you were still 17? I mean, was this kind of out of the blue at the time? Because you seemed to bypass reserve team football completely. To be honest, and uh, like we played on the Monday night. We had an FA Youth Cup game, very away. So played down there, scored a goal or two, I can't remember. And on the Wednesday, just went into training as normal. And uh, I can't remember, was it Roger, Roger Jones or Crozer? 
said it was all you're going with the reserves tonight. And I was like, oh, it's, that's uh, great. You know, it's like buzzing. Like, I hadn't even played for a reserve, so I think we played Rotherham away. So there I am on the reserve team bus and um, going thinking, oh, I'll just be so, oh, you're starting. Oh. <laughs> so I start, I think I, I might have played on the left. I can't remember. I don't think I played up front. Back in that, back, again, what I keep saying back in the day, but in those days, if you didn't play on the Saturday, you played it on the Wednesday as a first team player, you know. So there was a good line up. So I played on, on Wednesday night, rather than away, didn't get home till half one. Then we had college on the Thursday. Then on the Friday, just doing, doing the jobs as normal. And uh, it got to about half four or something. And uh, I took the towels into the ref's room for. Dennis Smith and Bill Busby for the uh, like you want to get a shower and stuff so I goes in with the towels and Dennis turns around and he says hey, you better get yourself home I was like I'm going to be what's why why does he mean that he says yeah, you're in the squad tomorrow so I was just like what <laughs> so, like, you know I was like again shell shock I was like I ran home I, uh, sorry I ran home I ran to up to the Grange get the bus back to Jarrah and uh, bursts in and tells me mum and dad, you know, you'll never guess what. I'm in the squad for the, the, the game tomorrow. And they were like, you know, absolutely over the moon, to say the least. And then next day he gets up, jumps on the boat, over to Roker Park, gets to Roker Park, again walks down from the Grange over the little bridge and then goes in not expecting to be, you know, just in the squad. Yeah. And then there they go, Dennis Smith goes there. Yeah. The team, etc., etc. Subs, and um, there's me, one of the subs. Honestly, you could have knocked us down with a fella. And what a time! What a time! And did you get all your kind of family there? Were they ready to, you know, with the tickets and they're all there? Oh yeah, yeah, would have been there regardless. Uh, <laughs> they'll do it now, even though I work at the club. They, they buy the season tickets and they won't take tickets off me. They still want to contribute and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but. No doubt they would have they would appear on the gate regardless, you know. Yeah, yeah well, I mean the the game will go three 0 up after after seventy three minutes, and then uh, you come on and replace uh, David Rush with about fifteen minutes left, and then a minute later they pull one back, but we thankfully kind of win three one in the end. But uh, can you remember anything about the game when you came on? Was it just a blur? Absolutely blown out my ass after about seconds. <laughs> I think it was all the nerves and the adrenaline. Yeah. I felt shattered, you know. I think I made one run and I thought, I'm, I'm, I'm finished. You're not going to take us off, yeah, you know. <laughs> it was just all the nerves and excitement and stuff, you know. Be, to be out there in front of a, a proper crowd was just, just unreal. Yeah, and you were obviously don't know if you had a chance, but um, it was a, a young or younger uh, David James in goal for Watford that day. Yeah, it was. Uh, I'm sure the game kicked off early because England were playing the Rugby World Cup or something. Three o'clock kickoff. I don't know. Wasn't sure about that. Um, I haven't got haven't got that much. I've got the rest of it. <laughs> the time, I, I just remember being an early kickoff. Uh, yeah, and then you go on to make the bench twice more in the next four games uh, against Bristol City and Plymouth Argyle, and then the following game back at Roker against Southend United, thirtieth of November, nineteen ninety one. You make the starting lineup for the first time, and as I said, you're still only a seventeen year old, um, which I imagined. I mean, the coming on as subs obviously huge, but um, I mean, did Dennis Smith tell you in advance you were in, um, or was it kind of? He put it up on the notice board and you just you just found it. He, again, um he sort of give us a you better get yourself home. Again, like, you know, as an apprentice back in those days you had to do the job. So I was the head head apprentice, so uh, it was my job to do kit and all this kind of stuff and 
he was like, I know, you need to get yourself home. And I was like, what do you mean? You need to get yourself home. You're playing tomorrow, you're stoned. And I thought, uh, <laughs> uh, I was like, just, you know, yeah. <laughs> and he goes home again. The excitement of telling me mum and dad was, was brilliant. And wakes up the next morning again, we're like, watch, clock watching, waiting and get, go and get the bus to over to Rota Park. And, and I bet you there's not many young lads who make a debut nowadays get the bus to the bus, <laughs> sure. No, they'll be in the sports car by 17, won't they? Aye, definitely. But yeah, I mean, you're up against... Because, uh, I mean, actually, I mean, I was looking at the team, where you were actually up front that day, because um, there was um, you, Davenport, and John Byrne in the team. And I think you you came off with about 15 left, and we, we got beat 2-1. But... Um, that was um, Collymore playing for. So, and, uh... No, they had... <laughs> he scored... Um, <laughs> they had Brett Angel up front, who scored the first goal. <laughs> so... I'd be the only goal he scored at Rotor Park. Uh, yeah, not far off. But you were, I mean, there was a there was Spencer Pryor at the back who was a big lad. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was a good player, to be fair. I mean, it carries on. I mean, but a month later, Dennis Smith is unfortunately sacked after a 3 0 defeat away to Oxford United. I mean, did that come as a surprise within the squad, even though we were struggling? And was that a blow to you personally because he'd showed his faith in you by, by throwing you in like that? It definitely was because Dennis was just a really straightforward man, you know. He gave me my opportunity and he was just, he, he was tough as teak as well, you know. He joined in training and he, no prison as Dennis. Hey, honestly, I've seen him like a bit like Bowley, like absolutely smash people. But he sort of trained, he joined in training, but he was just, demonstrating a will and a will to win. He just wanted to win all the time. And he did a great job, you know. He came in and dragged go up from the depths of the third division. And so I had quite a, an affinity for him before he gave me my debut, if you like, because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I enjoy watching his teams play. They're always on the front foot, full of endeavour, full of togetherness. And that's what Dennis, you know, he encouraged that. And, and he really stuck by his players, you know, looked after them. And uh, he looked after me, he gave me my chance. And so it was really like, sad when he went. Um, but it was kind of expected because we just couldn't get out of the rut. Results weren't great. We were floundering a bit. Marco had been, he'd be sold, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and he got to Palace Yeah, in yeah. uh, September. You know, and then signed Don. Yeah. yeah, just before he got sacked. Yeah, so typical, you know, like give the manager a bit of money and then <laughs> sack him, you know, it's it's crazy. Uh, but Dennis was a great guy, absolutely spot on. Yeah, and the, the rest of the season, I mean, we struggled um, and Malcolm Crosby took over as caretaker manager and then we, we went on that FA Cup run to the final, but you seemed to spend the rest of the season back in the youth team. I mean, was that a big disappointment after getting your chance, I mean, especially with a cup run? Oh, it was. You know, you think you're in there. Obviously, I understood. I'd, I'd watched Sunderland for a long time, so I, I recognised that a, a, a young lad, uh, very raw, probably wasn't the answer at that time. But it was disappointing not to like be a, a, around the first team. Although, again, I what kind of was because I was training a lot with them and all that kind of stuff. But I was out of contract in that summer. My apprenticeship was up, so I just had to knuckle down and make sure that I got a, I, I got a, an extension uh, another year or whatever it may be. Because even though I made my debut and had a, a, a cracking sort of start of the season and was scoring goals left, right and centre, um, there was like clubs sniffing around. 
Uh, Sunderland being Sunderland kept us on £29.50 a week <laughs> till the end of the season, you know. So, uh, they did used to pay for me bus pass as well. So, I kind of really grumble. So, all total about 40 quid, 40 quid a week. Wow. Being in the first team, you know, and they still wouldn't uh, bump, bump us up. So my my focus was just to make sure, you know, I, I got another another contract. So it was yeah, I was disappointed, but not too disheartened because I was still I was still scoring goals and really enjoying my football. You know, mm-hmm. uh, did you get to go along to any of those uh, cup games that season, the, the semi, or were you taken along to the final? I went I went down to the. Obviously, the home games, being an apprentice, you had to, you know, still look after the dressing rooms and tidy up and all this kind of stuff after the games. But um, went down to to Hillsborough to watch the semi-final of, of my own volition. Uh, it wasn't compulsory. And then uh, down for the final, uh, we all travelled together, all the apprentices. Went down and stayed in a, like a nice hotel and stuff, which was really good. Yeah, and the, the following season, I mean, you didn't really get a look in, despite kind of the first team struggling again. Um, and this season, you score uh, over forty goals in Jonathan Triggs' uh, youth team. But I mean, it's still surprising. I mean, you're banging on all, all those goals in for the youth team. You'd already had your chance in in the first team, and with Martin Crosby being in charge, especially you know first half of that season. I mean, he was involved in the youth setup. So was it still a surprise to you that that you weren't getting the odd chance? Crosby was a, like a funny one for me. Um, you know, a lot of people, after I've spoken with people later on, said if Crosser isn't having, isn't having a chirp at you, yeah, that's a time to worry. And Crosser used to be on me all the time, you know, like about various things, um, getting fitter, etc., etc. And uh, I kind of felt sometimes that, is it, why, why is he having a go at me? Why is he having a go at me? I'm scoring goals. But not recognising there was other aspects that, I needed to work on, you know, whereas striker being a striker, well, I'm scoring goals, I'm scoring goals, I'm scoring goals, you know. Mm. Um, so didn't really get anywhere near the side when uh, Crosser was in charge. But again, I only had a year's contract and I had to just focus on myself and make sure, you know, I did my utmost to get an extra year because, you know, still I could still play in the youth team um, as an under-19. Under so... Just had to make sure, like I say, at the end of that season, raise will we'll give him um, another year. Yeah, well, I mean, Malcolm Crosby was sacked in the January 1993 and then he was replaced by Terry Butcher. Was that odd having someone who was one of the lads in the dressing room suddenly stepping up to become the manager? Yeah, it, it was a strange time, but like the club again floundering, really struggling. It was looking bleak at that point, and then obviously Butch had, had, had came in as a player, and, and then all of a sudden he's moved up the notch, and he, he's become the manager. <sighs> Did he get things wrong? Yeah, most certainly. Butch would tell himself uh, mistakes he made, but luckily uh, the, the, the club managed to hang on and stay in the league that season, which by the absolute skin of the teeth. Yeah, we had, to, we had to rely on other people on the last day. Yeah. Normally other people are relying on us to save them, yeah. you know, which uh, we did. And uh, and that was just a decision. We shouldn't have never have got to that point being the worst point. Yeah. Well, he, he, he actually gives he gets you back involved and gets you back on the bench around February time for a game against uh, Charlton. Did you, did you think at some point, oh, I might, I might be back in here and actually, you know, Terry Butcher's given us a chance here? Yeah, 
like Butch was really good for me, you know. Uh, one day he said, uh, he come, he come to us, it was just before then, he says, just before that game, when he, he got us back involved, I think I think we played uh, Newcastle Reserves or something at, at home and scored a couple of goals, we beat them four. And obviously, Butch loved anything like that, you know, he's any kind of local rivalry, fierce things. He, he was like buzzing after the game and, and really, you know, gives a lot of praise. And the next day he says, uh, Hartlepool have been big. Hartlepool were in the football league at that time and uh, he says Hartlepool will be on the phone and they want you to go alone he says do you fancy it and I was like well I'm a young lad does you know what does he does he want us to go and I said uh, oh yeah yeah I'll uh, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll go get us get some games he went do you not think you can get in the team yeah like, and I thought oh I've said the wrong <laughs> like you know and he, he, he reeled us right in now so I'm like blah, blah, blah. what do I say now you know he says Keep on going the way you're going, and you'll get in the team. You know, so I thought, you know, that's really good. Yeah, a big character like Terry Butcher is telling you you'll get your chance. You know, so that was really good. Yeah, well, actually, I mean, he, he was right. I mean, we're going to his first full season the next year, and I think that this is the season you really kind of make your mark and, and kind of get into it a bit. I mean, that summer he went on a spending spree. Uh, well. Well, you know, in Sunderland terms at the time, you know, he brought in Chamberlain, Derek Ferguson, Andy Melville, Ian Rogerson, Phil Gray, and then four of them are involved in a pretty nasty car crash um, in pre-season. Yeah. Then we get beat 5-0 at Derby County on the opening day. I mean, it was the writing on the wall from the off that season. Yeah, you couldn't have made it up, really. Like like you say, for, for us at that time, that kind of money was was big, big money. And they were like established players. So you're thinking, well, hey, we might have, a, might have a bit of a sniff of a good season here. And lo and behold, they have the, the terrible car crash. And then a few of them are written off for a good while and go down the door, we full of optimism and boom, uh, somebody's just popped the balloon, you know. So... <laughs> Terry Butcher couldn't believe it himself. He's probably <laughs> what the hell's going on here, you know. But like I know people give like you know players sticking them or they weren't very good in this and that and the other. But like uh, all good lads and uh, like Alex Chamberlain, he was really good for her. Mel. What a centre half, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Tippy scored plenty of goals, you know. So like they weren't they weren't obviously as bad as what what people were making out. Well, I mean, you're getting involved. Um, you know, you're not involved. I think for the for the first handful of games, but then he starts bringing you in. Kind of keeps you around the squad, but he's eventually sacked in the November and replaced by Mick Buxton, who steadies the ship and will finish mid table. Um, but Mick Buxton shows a lot of faith in you as you're involved in almost every game after he he takes over, and you end up making 32 appearances in the starting eleven, which. On a personal level, must have been great as you just about turned twenty at this point. Yeah, Mick was a was a reserve team manager, so he obviously seen as a close hand for for a number of weeks, and and then he got he got the he got the job, and you know I keep saying about it's difficult when you you're inside you see things a lot different to you know fans and etc. I've been a fan myself, and I've probably stood on the terraces criticising people, not really understand or know anything about them. And Mick came in and was like, he was brilliant for me. You know, he was brilliant for Smithy. He gave Smithy, you know, a lot of game time as well. And like other lads will disagree. You know, one one man's meat's another man's poison, as they say. Mick was brilliant for me. I went on a good run, was in the team. And, you know, 
we kind of went from looking as though we're going to really struggle yet to in the, within the dressing room thinking we're going to carry run. Yeah, we could sneak into the into the playoffs because we weren't that far off it, you know. And then I think we got we got beaten at Barnsley or somewhere, and we just tailed off. The season just petered out. But for me personally, like Mick was brilliant. He like before the the, the, the sort of times of data analysts and all this, Mick would have a, a team meeting. And you'd go in and he'd be like, right, he'd say, he'd say full-back, whoever, Des Little, Nottingham Forest, five foot seven, this, that, and the other. And he'd reel off loads of like stats about the player you're going to be playing against. He doesn't like to do this. He doesn't like that. He's good at this. He's good. You know, I'm thinking, that was great. You know, how Mick, Mick did that. That was a, a long time before like all the data stuff came in and, and you'd have a printout of, of who you're playing against. But he was really good at a lot of, you know, he, he was a dour man. He don't get us wrong, but he, he, did, he, he, would, he did wonders for me. Yeah, that's actually, I mean, that's surprising because I think the kind of, the impression you got was he was almost kind of old school rather than kind of what, what you describe him there. He knew if he didn't know about a player, he'd sharp find out about him. And he made sure everybody knew exactly who they were playing against. Yeah, I mean, a few people have talked to about kind of those times and mentioned Mick Buxton. Um, I think kind of universally they all say he was a brilliant coach, but it was just kind of that ability to, to motivate the team that he lacked. He was excellent coach. Really, really good. Did he hold a room when he walked in? Like... You know, which you kind of need from a manager. I hope the managers here, you know, not really didn't didn't really have that gravitas. But as a coach, and like you know, like, you, know you speak as you find, and he was like I say, he was great for me. Yeah, I mean, for these few years when you're coming through, I mean, Sunderland were. I mean, God, we were struggling those those few years. I mean, but as I said, I mean, you're only twenty at this point when you're having this first season. You know, heavily involved in the first team. I mean, as a young lad, did that did that create more pressure or did you just want to get in because the team wasn't playing very well you just at that age you're not really you're not really thinking about where you are on the league table or anything like this you're just going into every game as if get in I'm, I'm, I'm playing for I'm playing for my team I'm playing for Sunderland I'm going to go out and try try my absolute best and that's all that, that you, you thought about you know I wasn't looking at the league table thinking Oh, we need we need a win. We need a win. We need to do this. We just went out to try and win every game. Yeah. It wasn't like one game was more important than the next one. It was just I want to win for for my team. I, I want to play well and try as as best as I can before my family watching and me me mates all watching from the the forward end or the or the main stand. You know, like you had that sort of that was your your sort of driver. You know, I don't want to let my family down. I don't want to. Them to have to to face people that say, ah, well, Craig was a lot of shite on Saturday, wasn't he? You know, I didn't want want them to have to have to have that. You know, yeah, yeah. I can't imagine like how they must have felt because, like I say, they're so they're so embroiled in Sunderland, and it means so much to me family that it must have been a bit of a sweet thing watching that that son and the, the brother playing for the team. Yeah, um, I mean, well, Mick Buxton sticks by you, and like he's. He, continues to, to show that faith in you that he did the previous season when you know in his first full season and you, you end up making 33 
you know, starts that season um, scoring 10 goals. I mean, as a 20-year-old that in a team like that, I mean, that, that that's un- unbelievable. Um, and it goes through to March. And after a run of six defeats in seven, he's sacked with, with seven games remaining and then replaced by Peter Reid. I mean, Peter Reid was the first managerial appointment from outside the club since since Dennis Smith in 1987. Was it a complete breath of fresh air when it came through? It was a, a big shock. I don't think... I think he would have got canny odds on uh, really getting a job. Like, you know, nobody expected him to walk in the walk in the front door. And, you know, he, everybody knows what Reedy's like, how, you know, he, uh, his enthusiasm, his, his will to win, you know, uh, how he is infectious, his, his, his character and all that kind of stuff. So to see him walk in the front door was... Was pretty weird, you know. Went from Terry Butcher, who exiting the national, and then, then making, and then all of a sudden another exiting the national, walking in the door, and the easy manager was just like, where did they pull him from? I will never know. <laughs> yeah, in, in his first game, uh, Sheffield United are at the park. It's it's nil nil. Um, you replace Brett Angel with twenty minutes left, um, and then it gets to the eighty ninth minute, and you end up scoring the winner at the full end. Um, but, <laughs> I think I think I mean looking at the, the goal again. I think it's still trying to cross the line, isn't it? <laughs> Funny enough, I uh, I got do a bit of work for. I used to do a bit of work for the Republic of Ireland, and the goalie that day was Alan Kelly, and he he always talks about it. He says, "I can't believe it got in." I keep saying, that. "I says I blew it in, man. I blew as hard as I could to get it over the line." You know, but yeah, yeah, I remember it really as clear as as day. You know, ball played over the top, and I just managed to get because I almost got away from the centre half before that, but he brought us down on the edge of the box. Did he get sent off? Yes, yes, he did. That they were down to ten men. Yeah, I was like clean through, and you know when you just get the feeling that I'm going to score today, and I got in that once, and the lad got sent off, and then I just set off, set off again on my bike, and the ball has come over the top. And it was like the pitch wasn't great. It was bobbling all over the place. And I just thought, I'm going to smash this as hard as I can. And I did. And then it sort of just looped. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> go in. Please go in. It was, it was like slow motion. And luckily enough, it, it uh, trickled over the line. Uh, <laughs> just about. And then uh, oh, just celebrating because it was a massive relief. Get off to a good start with a new manager and, and sent everybody home happy. Yeah, well, I, th- I think the full end just took one deep breath in and uh, and it flew in. I think you, you came off the bench, seventy one, replaced Brett Angel, and then a few minutes later, seventy five, uh, David Tuttle was sent off. Yeah, I, I thought because I, I just one of them won the ball over the top and nicked it away from him, and he just wiped us out <laughs> on the edge of the box, and it was obviously straight red. But actually, I mean. Peter read a few times kind of a talkings and things like that. He, he's mentioned, you know, because people talk about his big goals later on, you know, when we're beating Chelsea or whoever we were beating later on. But quite often he refers back to, to this goal and uh, Martin Smith's against Swindon as well. It's probably two yeah. of the biggest in his time. New manager comes in, you get beat at home, trying to pick everybody up would have been really difficult. Fortunately for, for me as a, as a Sun fan as well, to score such an important goal is really special. Yeah, hey, and then Peter Reid's first full season because he keeps us up um, in those seven games of those important goals, and then he goes into his first full season with almost the same squad. He only really brought in kind of Bracewell as a as a player, but he was assistant manager as well. 
I think it was John Mullen who came in as well during the summer. Um, and you're you're pretty much kind of involved uh, from the off. You end up nine goals in, in 38 games. But you, you kind of, you don't really nail down that starting 11 place f- kind of fully until we play Millwall uh, on the 9th of December, who at that point will level on points with us at the top of the league. And and then you go and score four in a six nil win. <laughs> there's a good there. Uh, there's a good sort of backstory to that. Um, I'm sure David Kelly had gone away for international, and he'd gotten he'd got a bad injury, ankle injury. So there's a there's a place up for grabs and in the team on the weekend. And so Pop Robson, the reserve team manager, says one of years can we're playing Barnsley away. One years can play. One years play first off. The other one play the second off. You decide who's going to play. So Mullers went, uh, oh, well, I'll play first off. And obviously wanted to get it out of the way. So <laughs> travelled down to Barnsley on the coach and the off the coach straight in the dressing room, you know, it's a reserve game. So nil-nil half-time, I'm like, uh, I'll play the second off. And five minutes in, I scored a goal. And then, yeah, you know, when you just think, well, I'm right at it, yeah. And I said, like, there's a, a lad from Barnsley. He kept telling us, will he, will he slow down? Will he stop running? Yeah, I thought... <laughs> I was like, no, I'm not stopping running. I want to play on this one side. <laughs> so, I, you know, made the right impression and then really decided to give me the nod over Mullers. And, uh, uh, well, say it's Dreamland to score four goals at Roker, Roker Park would be an understatement. You'll always be the last Sunderland player to, to score a hat-trick at Roger Park. <laughs> uh, how he does. <laughs> but, I mean, that, that, that must be up there kind of one of your best days of your career. I mean, seeing some of the celebrations and uh, it was as, almost as if you couldn't believe it when Kenny scored the four. I mean, like, I, I wasn't the, the biggest celebrator of goals, to be honest. Uh, but if I could rewind the clock and if I knew what was going to happen that day, or, like, I would have probably said, nah, never, never had a million years. I want to score four goals this afternoon. You know, like you said earlier, Millwall were like top of the league at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like a lad called Keith Stevens used to call him Rhino <laughs> and honestly uh, he'd, he'd kick his granny you know he was one of those ones and I knew he was in for a tough time obviously Rogie Anton Rogan was playing for him and, yeah. uh, Ben Thatcher you know that they had some decent players Casey Keller well, well I think about the lineup, they had some really good players so to score four goals in such a, a, a big fixture was 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 unbelievable yeah, Alex Ray was in there as well. Hi, Alex. Uh, oh, uh, well, actually, um, I mean, just a side point, but uh, uh, Mick McCarthy ended up going to Ireland a couple of months later and Millwall got relegated. No. Um, but a couple of weeks later, you almost scored the winning goal at Old Trafford in the third round of the FA Cup when you put us 2-1 up, only for Eric Cantona to equalise in the last minute. But uh, it's, it's a goal I'll always remember because um, I, I was there at Old Trafford. But the thing I remember about this goal was how long it seemed because you, you were kind of 20 yards in the clear with nobody. You were kind of, you know, right behind the back four. But it seemed to take about five minutes for the ball to kind of oh, get settled for you. It was, I used to play with a, the, like a different ball, Man United, like an Umbro, was an Umbro ball. And it was like really lively, like yeah, it, it, it bounced totally different to the minor one, if you like. Just remember, I ball getting played on the top, I guys played it over, and it just bounced. So I tried to head it down to it, to like take it into my path, and then it came back up again. So I had to head it again, you know. So it's just like, what's going on? Yeah, and 
then I managed to get the shot away just before uh, Gary Neville was just, I could just see him on the corner of my eye and I was like, he's going to catch it. Yeah. I managed to get the shot away. Was it the greatest shot I've ever hit? I don't think so. <laughs> but Kevin Pilden didn't, didn't, uh, didn't get down quick enough to it. And luckily for luckily for me, it nestled in the bottom corner of the, the strip I'm in. It, it wasn't bad. I mean, it went in off the post, so you couldn't have you couldn't have put it in a better place. Yeah, I true enough. It was right in the corner, I think, to be mm-hmm. fair. Uh, mm-hmm. What a feeling that was. Yeah, at Old Trafford, uh, you know, put the t- your team up uh, in the FA Cup. But I mean, you, you said Pilgrim was in goal, but that, I mean, looking at the team, that was that was pretty much their only change. I mean, it's kind of Neville, Irwin, King, Pallister, Bruce, Beckham, Butt, Cole, Cantona, Giggs. I mean, they they put out a first team that day. Oh, they went uh, they went with a full full quarter. Like uh, I mean, even when Beckham went off, Lee Shaw came on. You know, so it was a it was a proper team. It was like there was no messing about. But it just shows, you know, in those kind of six months, what Peter Reader kind of turned us into in that short space of time. Because we were flying at the time, and obviously, you know, giving teams like that a game at Old Trafford. Yeah, we're just uh, we're robbed by the referee at Old Trafford. Mm-hmm. You know, he gave them a free kick, never been a free kick in a million years. Yeah. Or else we'll be sat here talking about a famous cup victory at Old Trafford instead of a, well, unlucky, you got a draw. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Alex Chamberlain, I think after, like he didn't come for that one at the end, and mm. I don't really ever forgive him, you know. Yeah, it's typical Sunderland, isn't it? We're talking about famous draws, mm. but that that Millwall performance and uh, the the Manchester United goal. I mean, you're you're pretty much after that. You're in the starting eleven for pretty much every game for the rest of the season, and we go on that amazing run. You know, when Cheer Given came in, we go on to to win the title. You end up as top scorer, thirteen goals, um, another honour. You hold in the last title winning season at Roger Park, being top scorer. Would it be easy to assume this was your best season in your career? Oh yeah, uh, by a long chalk. We just all seem to just click as a group, from Reedy to Sacco. Absolutely fantastic, by the way, Bobby Saxton. What a bloke! Uh, obviously brought Brace in, and we just gelled, you know, as the whole group from like us, the young lads, me, Mickey, Smithy, Bridgie. Sam Aston, you know, all, all all played a part, and I like that the 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 sort of more senior pros. Like it was just a great group, great team spirit, and that was uh, manufactured by really and I brought all together. I mentioned at the beginning, you know, the season, the only personnel he really brought in was Bracewell. I know Mullen was brought in, but kind of Mullen was a, a young player who was kind of in and out, but. Um, I mean, I think Bracewell got Player of the Month for the first three or four months. I mean, he was, oh, even, even at that age, he was immense, wasn't he? Quality Brace, you know, he knew the game inside out. He was tough as well. No shirking from Brace. It was a master stroke by really getting him, getting him to come in. Yeah. Well, you're 22 years old now and uh, and you're a Premier League player. Um, I mean, <laughs> how long did that celebration go on <laughs> through that summer? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had a good time, put it that way. Yeah. But it was almost like I say, it was it was surreal. I'm sure the was it the, the Euros on that summer? Three lines the football's coming home and all this kind of stuff and we just being promoted to the Premier League and it was just what a fabulous time. And um during that summer we had I mean, we've already added uh, Paul Stewart during that season. He, he joined and played kind of quite a lot of games towards the end of that season. Um, I mean, was it was he a big influence at the time because he he came in at an, an age when you know he seemed to be more of a provider than kind of scoring the goals. Came in early season, then he he got injured, and then he went back to the, was it Liverpool at the time? Yeah, 
That's right. Yeah. Liverpool, and then oh, out of nowhere, Stewie comes back again. Uh, but you know what? What a quality player he was, and uh, tough character, real, real winner. Mm. Um, but he just he fit in really well. Uh, come in, and, and you know, I think Phil Gray was having contract issues, and was he going to sign? And really, wasn't happy about it. And, and uh, he brought Stewie in. And at first, I thought, oh, am I going to get left out? Yeah, you know. Mm. Uh, but luckily enough for me, he put Stewie up, up top along alongside of me. Yeah, yeah and, he, and that summer as well, he, he obviously adds Nal Quinn to the squad. But during that season, you have some great moments, you know, the, the goal against Chelsea and, it, you know, but make 12 starts. I mean, were you disappointed after the season before you, you didn't start more that season in the Premier League? Uh, I've got to be honest with you, it's, like, it's still sort of, it still bothers us now. When I, it annoys us when I see people, ah, like, Sullivan's top scorer only had four goals and, hmm. like, well, I but I only started in twelve games. Yeah. You know, any chance? You know, but I think I had like just before Christmas I had three and three and five games. Like I scored against Everton, scored against Chelsea, scored against Derby, and then I got injured at West Ham over the Christmas and I just couldn't he just I think I I'd be surprised if I started more than three or four games after that. You know, I was in the team, out of the team, or three weeks in the team, out of the team, and you just kind of get in the groove. And it's a tough, a tough, tough, tough league. You know, playing. I was still relatively young, 22, 23 year old, and I just couldn't. He just could not get in the team. I'm obviously really would have had his his reasons as to why. But you know, I thought in the run up to Christmas, well, I was just finding a bit of form. Um, three and five, which isn't a bad by any anybody's uh, sort of standards, especially you know, young lad just maybe trying to make his sort of way in the Premier League. So it's still a noise is to this day. Yeah, I mean, it was it was frustrating for, for the fans as well because, and like you said, you, you started twelve. I mean, just to just to kind of emphasize the point, you made twenty two appearances as, as a substitute that season, which I think tells a story in itself, but. To, to go through that and still end up as, as top scorer, even though it was four. I mean, you, you ended up as top scorer. I mean, if you look at starting appearances, it's kind of one in three games, which you know, in the Premier League is, you know, more than good. Well, but, I, um, for that, if I uh, managed one in three in a full season and I'd played a full season, you know, you'd be well happy. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, the frustration, he obviously had his reasons and manager picks the teams, but even as a fan, you look at the likes of the Southampton game, you know, where we've played one up front when we needed the points and you think, <laughs> you know. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Okay, so it's fair to say you were disappointed with that. Then that, that's just, yeah, that's just, just a smidgen, just a smidgen. Yeah, especially with it being the last season at Rocker Park, which you know meant so much to you, obviously, and, and the rest of your family. Yeah, I mean, like even even that the the, the last ever game, Tom Everton, I, I wasn't even on the bench. Yet the week later, I was on the bench. Then the week before that, I was on the bench. Yeah. So I wasn't on the bench. I wasn't even involved in the last ever game. It, it, it broke a park, which really, really hurt us. And uh, I ended up watching it from the full end. So, mm. you know, heavy cloud and all of that. So mm. I'm on the full well for the last ever game. Yeah, but it's it's funny because you, you've actually answered my next question. But, oh, but yeah. I, no, but I, I was going to actually ask because it was so strange when I looked back at it that, I was going to ask if you'd actually taken a knock because <laughs> it was so strange. Oh, you missed out on that one. Just uh, 
left out. But uh, kind of turned me back to the club. But at least I got to stand where I stood nearly nearly all my days as a fan um, for the last game. So. Um, actually, one thing I did want to mention about that season was um, obviously that was a season when we had the cameras in, in the dressing room. Uh-huh. Um, how, what was the what was the reaction of the the rest of the lads when you know they were told, "Well, we're going to have cameras in this season." Yeah, uh, just you know, a few moans and groans, but you just get on with it. The best thing about that is like it looks like I'm getting a right bollocking off uh, Reedy at one point. He was having to go Bridgie, it wasn't me. <laughs> but it looks like it's me because I'm sat in the corner and it's just packed Reedy's going well you know and he goes absolutely mental it looks like he's having a go at me it was one of the few times he wasn't uh, was that, I'm sure that was the, the Arsenal one where he was making the point of their strikers uh, holding it up uh, <laughs> that said, said to us he says it, it, it wasn't you you know he wasn't having a after the game I was like oh, look at that first time ever yeah, I think it, it did show you trying not to make eye contact with Reed while he was doing it. <laughs> when he goes off, that was it. He just just it on the chin. Um, and you did you did that interview, I think, with uh, with Mickey Gray in the in the hotel. Oh, my <laughs> hotel just, uh, I've, I've, I've erased that from my memory. <laughs> it was all a bit odd how they set you up for that, wasn't it? Aye, just a bit. <laughs> Mickey's got a better time than me, so he's that much better. <laughs> It's just a good job it was uh, separate beds, I think, that you didn't get you in a hotel with. Uh... It wouldn't have been the first time we slept together, it wouldn't have been the last time. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, as I said, we, we went down, um, but straight away our attention turns to, to moving into the to the new stadium. I mean, for someone uh, like yourself who had followed the lads at Roker, then come through as a player there, then played there, I mean, how was that moving for you? I mean, were you up for it or were you thinking, well, you know, I, I love Roker Park? Yeah, yeah, the writing was on the wall for us because... You know, you hear out rumours and like uh, those rumours that really was going to sell us and all this kind of stuff. And then I started to get a couple of whispers that Man City were wanting us and stuff. So I, I kind of thought I'll probably not play here. You know, and that summer uh, the bid came in from City, went down in the July. So I could have been involved in the the actual first first game there. I would have been playing for City against Sunderland, which would have been bizarre. But I failed the medical down there, and and the move the move didn't uh, come off till November. So I thought to myself, if the managers accepted a bid for you, it's time to it's time to move on. You know, I never would have whatever wanted to leave Sunderland, but I just knew that my time was up. I mean, was that was that how it was with with Peter E when you realised his mind was made up? Was it kind of no going back with with Peter E? Does that the majority of the time? Like I say, he like he accepted the bid. You know, it was was a substantial bid at the time, like one point five, one point six million. So um, I could understand. You know, the club just built a stadium, probably you know the cash. But I thought to myself, ah, mate, I guess there's there's no way I'm gonna flip this around. Yeah, you know, Kevin came in and stuff like that. I mean, obviously, he's came and Quinny were gonna be the starters uh, so so we went down the city failed the medical and then I was just I was just seeing how the, the time before it, it resurfaced you know yeah because yeah, it, w- it wasn't until the November that you you know you finally went and, and that's what they were Nicky Sumby but I mean so was it just like that the whole time was you, were you just kind of waiting for that bit to come back in and at all the start again yeah 
like when I went down to City for the first sort of round of talks, I knew I needed a hernia operation, and because I'd I'd been playing with it for uh, a good few months towards the end of the previous season, and so I knew I needed doing. So I was honest with them. I said this is a situation, and what have you? So they said, well, we're going to hold off on the deal. So I came back to Sunderland. Really, really wasn't happy. I hadn't gone through. And I was like, well, it's you know. Wasn't personal terms or anything like that. It was because I needed a hernia operation, so I got me hernia operation done. So I'm making decent progress back, and uh, it was time like the stitches to come out. So this is not a very pleasant story, but I'll tell you it anyway. <laughs> well, anyway, the stitches get taken out, and I'm like, oh, thank God for that. I'm going to have a nice bath. So I goes and runs a bath, climbs in the bath. So as you do, you sit in the bath and you stand up and give yourself a you know a wash, and then I'm just rubbing me sort of stomach and my fingers go into oh. into where the the hernia repair was and I pulled my fingers out and honest to God it was like oh. it was just like a scene out of Friday the thirteenth it was squirting all over the walls. Honestly I nearly, I nearly passed out. So I had to go ring the physio he says get yourself straight in uh, the hospital. I had to ring my brother come and take us and I'm driving like he's driving I'm holding my pants off this big hole in my stomach. It was just like, what the hell's going on here? You know, gets it in, gets it repaired, but that just prolonged the time. Mm. So I'd missed pre-season, and I had a hernia. Then the hernia had gone wrong, and then it just, and I was just like, oh, it was just, it's was one disaster after the other at the minute. So that tense, why it took so long to for the move to come around again to City. Mm. Well, I mean, you eventually go and, you, you know, Frank Clark is a manager at Man City and you play like 20-odd games there, but then um, he seems to re- be replaced by Joe Royal in the summer and, and that's it. You don't seem to get a look in after that. Uh, well, uh, again, uh, Frank, you know, what a great fella he was. Um, City was, a, if I had done my due diligence, I would have never gone in a million years. Mm. Must have been about 30 pros there. Like, I'm not talking... Young lads, I'm talking senior pros, and the, the atmosphere was just absolutely toxic. Mm. Uh, Frank was great, and but I went there. The left wing back got injured. I was the only other left footer at the time, so ends up playing left wing back. You know, and I'm like, I'm yeah. the centre forward, and I'm playing left wing back. You know, we used to make us laugh. Over again, people would say, "Oh, you haven't scored many goals," and I'm like. <laughs> if you had Sean Gould and I play right wing back, he's scored many goals, you know. It's just, <laughs> uh, so it was just a, oh, a disaster. And then Joe Royal Cape comes in and pulls us up the office. How are you doing, Bob? I'm saying, oh, what's going on? Yeah, he says, yeah, I've been speaking to Reedy about you. And I just thought, oh, <laughs> I, I should have just said, oh, should I just get me boots now? <laughs> just make me wait somewhere else you know so it was just a disaster fantastic club I met, I met some really good people at Man City but yeah, it's a very different club <laughs> to what you played for oh, uh, but I mean after City you had spells at uh, Tommy Rovers Port Vale Darlington Oxford United where you reunited with Dennis Smith briefly again yeah um, I mean how, how was that to get back with Dennis again no oh, it was good I mean he He'd, uh, he came up to watch us in a reserve game against Man United reserves. Um, and again, like, 
the reserve team coach had said it was all he's going to play the first first half you're going to play the second half so Dennis had came up drove up all from Oxford and there I am I'm not playing I'm on the bench so you only watch the first half and, and done one so I comes on the second half and uh, scored two in the, against Man United reserves and so <laughs> Dennis rings us he says what about you he says uh, I left thinking oh I'm going to like move on as another target because I didn't see you playing I didn't know if you, if you how fit you were and so he says then I got a phone call off somebody else saying that you'd come on and scored two so <laughs> with Dennis what a, like I say a great fella you know it was a little bit of an opportunity to get some games in down at Oxford yeah other teams so St Johnston you had a stint at Carlisle United and then you end your career with a second stint uh, at Darlington and then you become a master at rugby union side Newcastle Falcons I mean I'm just wondering why you didn't go kind of down the, the usual route you know into the coaching route uh, yeah, the coaching the coaching bit I just thought there's no transferable skill in, in that I, I couldn't say if there was no jobs look because of geographically where we are there's not that many clubs and if there was no jobs like would I be uprooting a family to go like 200 mile away there's a, a start off as a coach where you like after a few months you could be peddled again you know and stuff and I had like a young, young family and I just thought I'm quite interested in anatomy and physiology and that kind of thing doing a massage therapy course like I thought yeah, well you know I could get a job in sport I could, I could set up my own practice I would like you know go from that to a physio degree and all that kind of stuff but you know luckily for me uh, Steve Black who I knew from like he used to train with Sunderland and stuff he, he was at the Falcons and said oh do you want to come and do a bit of work here so sort of I was dead dead lucky that I came out of football and straight away I was still in professional sport yeah, you know, we'll have a joke, obviously, you know, the rivalry with, with Newcastle, but to, to go into that um, field and then get a job at such a high profile, you know, club like Newcastle Football Club, I mean, that must have been a big step and, you know, a good thing to, to get that job, even though that rivalry's there. Yeah, it was uh, like, like Sam, I, I sort of, like, as you do, you put a CV out and stuff, and then I, I'd done a little bit, a little bit of part time part-time stuff on Newcastle as in, in in line with the Newcastle Falcons and then in the summer Sam Allardyce he, he came in he, you know where he's like for his medical team uh, there was opportunity so again I, I spoke with Mark Taylor who used to work alongside Sam and, and he says I'll come to Austria for a, a, a trial a, a trial week if you like and we'll see how you work and, and stuff like that so I went off to Austria in a trial week and I ended up you know, I was uh, Ended up training for nearly the full week, so it was a, a, like fantastic for me. I've still got little little pieces of paper with the five or side teams on, and there I am. I'm you know training alongside uh, Charles and Zogbia, Michael Owen, Nicky Boat. It was just fantastic, and then we came back, and you know I, I made a half decent impression. Then Sam Allardyce and Mark Taylor offered us a job, and it was. It, 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 I'm not gonna lie, it was just uh, it was great to be back involved in in uh, in football. Like. And then uh, obviously you make the move back to Sunderland in in 2009. How did that come about? Because um, obviously being given a chance with with Newcastle in your new field. I mean, actually, you must have felt a little bit of all to them to say, well, you know, they gave us a chance. Well, it was bizarrely enough, I, I bumped into um, Glenn Campbell, who's a, he's a, the head groundsman at the academy and stuff, mm-hmm. and looked after the after the first team pitch as well. And 
And I said, just like as a passing comment, I says, "Hell, Glenn, I says, uh, is any jobs going there?" Like, took me name in, thinking absolutely nothing of it, you know. And then I, uh, you know, get a phone call. Like, are you definitely interested? And I says, "Oh, well, yeah, I says, like, you know, I, I enjoy working at Newcastle. And some fantastic people behind the scenes there." And well, I says, "It's my club, isn't it? You know, I'm going to come back." And then Glen Ray, the, the club doctor, rang us up. I went to meet him. I think it was the day of the Oasis concert at the stadium, late. So I met him on that morning, and he's, yeah, "Would you be interested?" Blah blah blah. And yeah, of course I would be. You know that this is what I've done. I've worked with the Republic of Ireland the last two years as well. <clears throat> so you know, my CV kind of stacked up to to work at Sunderland. It wasn't just like I got the job on because I used to be a player. It was because you know I'd worked at the Falcons. I'd done Republic of Ireland. I'd been all over Europe with them and worked in Newcastle for two years. I couldn't turn it down, you know. So I spoke to Newcastle and, and they, they, were, they were grace, you know. They could have said, was you need to work, yeah, however long you know what it and stuff. But said, oh, you know, you've been great, a great employee for us here. I wish you all the best for, for coming back to Sunderland, you know. So it was it was. It was bizarre how it all turned out. Yeah, I have uh, I have flashbacks every now and again to that Oasis concert. I think. <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's fair to say um, it's been a fairly interesting eleven years <laughs> while you've been with Sunderland. Sure. Um, I mean, just I mean, what are your standout moments the last eleven years? Standout moments. Oh, one of the start with Brucey obviously the the three 0 away at Chelsea was was unbelievable. Uh, and then you go on and all the all the derby wins. Being fortunate enough to be in the dressing room four, and I think one I was actually in. Was it? Yeah, the first three, the second three niller. Mm. I didn't work that game. I don't think, and I was up in the stand for that one. So yeah, it, it, it's been some highs, but some extreme, extreme lows. Yeah, oh, yeah. There's some uh, pretty, um, <laughs> pretty epic pictures of you celebrating, <laughs> jumping off the bench, <laughs> as you would. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, on paper we've had, um, you know, an impressive list of managers that you've kind of worked under. You know, eleven in total, four different caretaker managers, all very different characters. But I mean, I could probably spend kind of all night talking about them. But I mean, are there any of those that that you've worked under that really impressed you that you ended up scratching your head thinking why? didn't they work at something Lucy was brilliant I thought and for me the the pains is to mention it but the 5-1 it, 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 we're just ne- he, that was never going to leave him um, yeah. you know he built a good side up and had the rope pulled from him uh, Brucey was really really good Gus was great I thought like, Gus was excellent how he set the team up and he got them playing exactly how he, he believed and again we'll go out and get we're just missing a goal scorer we'll go out and get Jermaine Defoe a couple of weeks later that Gus has gone mm. also the missing piece of the jigsaw he'd gone and then he'd gone we'd start the season before he lost the game to start the season I know everybody would go on about the Southampton game and that was just a freak mm. absolutely freak but he took one of the cup final pulled off the miracle he was excellent Martin O'Neill very different started off like a train I thought really thought We've cracked it, yeah. Um, it didn't work out. And then Jack, Jack Ross, as a man, fantastic how, how he was, how uh, how invested he was in trying to make a, this work and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I was really, really uh, gutted when Jack, Jack got sacked. 
Yeah, I mean, there's been there's been a lot of them, and you you've seen a lot of close up as as a player and working behind the scenes. But I mean, at Sunderland, what attributes do you think you really need as a manager to to kind of cope with the job? You've got to have it. Like, with, with with anything, you've got to have a little bit of luck, a little bit of rub of the green, you know. Um, but you've got to have big, broad shoulders. That's for sure. Uh, you've got strong character. And, and have belief in your ways of, of doing things, you know, and stick with it. But I mean, just to the the, the current time, I mean, how's how's everyone at the, is everyone at the club keeping in touch? I mean, are you having you know def- Skype quizzes or anything like that going on just to keep everyone kind of in touch? Like now, I'm on the other side of the fence. Uh, I, like you, you'd never hear nothing from from the players and stuff, but obviously, like. I'll see on Facebook what people have been up, up to and Twitter and Instagram and all that kind of thing. But that's why I haven't really uh, I haven't really spoken to anybody, to be fair. Yeah, well, yeah let's hope uh, everyone can get together soon and get back out on that training pitch. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a long, a long tough road for, for everybody ahead, I think. Well, I mean, just as, our, as a final thing I want, I'd like to do with you, um, what I've got in front of me, is the Sunderland Annual from 1994, would you believe? Here's one I prepared earlier, so you're about 1920 at this point. And of course, in the annual, it's got um, it's got a Craig Russell fact file in here. <laughs> so I thought I'd see what you could remember about a 20-year-old Craig Russell. Uh, one of the questions they've put to you, all-time top five favourite records. Go on. Um, so let's see if you can guess what you put in your top five as a 20-year-old. I have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> not one. Stand by uh, me, Benny King. Nope, nope, that's not in that. Elvis, any Elvis in there? No Elvis, unfortunately. God. Criminal. My music, the Smiths, the Smiths have got to be in there. Nope, <laughs> no Smiths. I think you'll surprise yourself. I think they've made it up, to be honest, looking at it. I think I have. <laughs> Shall I put you out of your misery? Oh, then. You've got at number five. You've got No Woman, No Cry, but oh, Marley, of course. Uh, At number four, you've got uh, Someone Somewhere in Summertime, Simple Minds. Uh, uh, At three, you've got Beautiful Girl in Excess. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm doing the charts here. Uh, number two, you've got Could You Be Loved, Bob Marley again. And at number one, top of the pops for Craig Russell as a 20-year-old, which I'm not sure I quite believe, is... How Can I Love You More by M People. Oh, I must have been in a, a disco phase, kind of <laughs> reggae, reggae trip, I think. <laughs> yeah, a couple of Bob Marley ones in there. Your top uh, favourite film at this point was The Bodyguard. I didn't really have any taste when I was 20-year-old. <laughs> well, on that note, I uh, just want to say thank you very much for your time, Craig. We, we really appreciate it. I'm sure everyone's going to really enjoy hearing those stories. It's been great to look back. And uh, thank you very much and all the best. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much. As, as the stage player says, I left my heart at Roker Park. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.